Now I'm fully asleep. Uh, it's time for Broker Talk, the number one weekly real estate podcast hosted by industry experts. And we are live if you want to chat with us in real time and possibly ask us some questions while we're on the air. Go, well, you're listening to us, so you, you're already there. But it's broker-talk.com or the Castles Unlimited Facebook page and join in on the conversation. Once again, we're broadcasting from the top of the Castles Unlimited Space Needle in Boston, Massachusetts. How are you doing today, Larry? I'm doing pretty good, Jim. Uh, we've got an exciting show today. Food, shelter, and clothing. Those are the essentials for everyone. Shelter is number two on that hit parade. Real estate is important. Real estate is a process, whether you're buying or selling. You know, if you work with a professional, it makes sense that things go better. You're probably going to get the house at a better price and get it done um, in, in a better way. But you know what? You can be an idiot and do it all by yourself. Make some mistakes and get through. The house will be sold and maybe there'll be no problems. But today our show is going to be talking about people, um, agents, lending officers, um, uh, lawyers. There's other people involved. There's an inspector. There's uh, uh, appraisers. Um, variety of people are looking at the purchase and the sale of a house from a variety of different uh, disciplines and importance. So uh, we have uh, two people that uh, I know and work with. Uh, Nancy Blueice is a real estate attorney, highly accomplished in many, many ways, uh, as is Joseph Smith, who is the partner or the vice president at Guaranteed Rate. Is that what you are, Joe? So I'm a, I'm a vice president, um, definitely not a partner. There's thousands of us um, at the company, but actually one of, the, one of the top producers in the country. Well, um, I always call myself the vice president of Thursday because it's Thursday now. Um, Be your all... vice president of Thursday, to be right. right, right, right. But um, back to start this over again, real estate is a process and everybody that we know right now is starting online. They're looking, they're looking at houses. Sometimes they're going to open houses. Uh, all of a sudden they can find something that they want and the steps from the desire to have something and get something as a, an agreed upon offer uh, needs every one of us. Let's talk a little bit about, well, first of all, you, you got to have a pre-approval. So let's start with you, uh, Joe, pre-approval, pre-qualification. That's words that get thrown around. What are they? Sure. So I always encourage people to get pre-approved as early as possible. The difference between a pre-approval and a pre-qualification is um, we do more vetting on a pre-approval. We run a credit report. We generally would get um, documentation like income documentation, asset documentation, um, tax returns if they're self-employed. And actually in the COVID world, like self-employed borrowers are a lot harder to, uh, to get loans for. So if someone says they're self-employed, 
um, we definitely want to start early in that process to make sure that they are going to be approvable. Um, a pre-qualification is just kind of like someone throws out some numbers and says, you know, my salary is $100,000 a year. Um, here's what I'm looking for. And I come back and say, based on that, you know, you're probably going to be qualified for a loan of X. Um, there's not really much that goes into it. So that's why I always encourage people to do a really thorough pre-approval. Um, I like to collect as much documentation as possible just so we vet it and there's no surprises in the end. Um, oftentimes, when someone puts an offer in, a listing agent will call me and say, hey, I, we're considering this, uh, this offer and you've done a pre-approval. How much work have you done on this? Have you vetted their, their income, um, their credit report, things like that? And so the, whenever we can say affirmatively, yes, we've done all those things, then it often helps the process go a lot smoother. Wow, that I was. Ask, I have to ask my question that I ask of all mortgage brokers. Uh, do you have anything creative um, for uh, self-employed uh, out there? So, like the good old days. Yeah, liar, liar Before the pandemic hit, there were lots of really creative things that that you could do. Um, you know, a lot of lenders, like the you know, back in two thousand eight, when the financial markets froze up. Um, things got really tight. And then things started getting looser and looser um, with more and more creative things that were um, affordable or available to self-employed people. But then the pandemic hit. And a lot of those more creative things kind of went away. And a lot of those lenders actually stopped lending altogether. Um, the past couple of weeks, some of those lenders have come back a little bit. Um, but it's it's really tough right now for self-employed borrowers. Actually, as of... Um, I think it was June 11th, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac imposed a whole new set of uh, requirements for self-employed borrowers. And even jumbo lenders um, jumped on board with those requirements. So now for a self-employed person, you have to get two years of tax returns. You have to get a profit and loss statement for 2020. And you have to get two months, June, like right now we're in August. So you'd have to get June and July bank statements. And what they're looking for is to, is to see that the pandemic hasn't had a negative impact on their business or on their cash flow. And so we have to do a really thorough analysis even of the bank statements to see what income has been coming in, what the expenses are, and then what the actual income is. Um, so it's, it's definitely harder right now. Um, in fact, some industry statistics are that 70% of self-employed people are now getting, um, are getting denied. So there's what a about lot to cover quarter? here. Wait a second, Jim, there's a lot to cover here. Let's, let's not get lost just in one, one spot. Um, uh, let's bring in uh, Nancy here. Because um, most most of the time, uh, people don't work with their attorney before they make the offer. But Nancy, you mentioned to me not too long ago that some things that should be in the offer that aren't normally in the actual first offer. Right. So most brokers, um, even experienced brokers, go ahead and prepare an offer without running it by an attorney. Um, and a lot of times buyers simply don't have an attorney at the time. So that's understandable. However, where a buyer has an attorney and the broker is aware of that, it's preferable to have the attorney review the offer before it's submitted. And why is that? It's because the offer is actually in Massachusetts as opposed to in other um, states. The offer is a legally binding contract and it contains all the material terms such as the price and the uh, closing date and any contingencies. So when push comes to shove, 
a seller or a buyer for that matter could actually get specific performance uh, based on an offer to purchase, even absent the parties going to a purchase and sale agreement. So the reason it's important to get the lawyer involved is the terms, there's no leverage to change the terms once that offer is submitted and accepted. Um, so if, if, Unless they agree, right? Unless yes, they agree. but there's no legal leverage to force a change so that if the buyer decides they want to put down less money and finance more, that really, you know, that that's not acceptable unless, um, for you know, unless in this case, the seller decides, you know, I don't want to put the property back on the market. I'm going to let, I'm going to agree to the reduction in the down payment and the increase in the loan amount. Uh, but from a legal standpoint, there's no way to force that upon the seller once an offer is accepted. That's just one example. In a norm, in a normal market, after the offer is in, generally are given about 10 days. In that 10 days, a lot of stuff has to happen for the buyer. They have to do an inspection and all different kinds of inspections if they want, no matter what it is. They have to then ha have the purchase and sale begun to be prepared and ready to be signed in 10 days. Um, this is a very busy time for a buyer. And if you're not working with a professional, you that time slips by so quickly. Um, yeah, and I was I was going to say also um, to have a team, especially if you're a buyer, to have your team in place before you make an offer is so essential because um, especially in a seller's market where we have these low interest rates and low inventory and pent up demand and you have, you know, many in many cases, um, properties going above asking with multiple offers for a buyer to be successful. They need to be working with somebody like Joe uh, right from the beginning um, because, you know, the seller wants to get the best deal in terms of how quick is the closing. Um, and that's dependent upon a lot of things. And I know with Joe recently, we had a situation where the seller uh, wanted to close quickly. And I asked Joe, look, what is, you know, how feasible is this date? And Joe said, well, you know, appraisals are taking, you know, two weeks, you know, uh, so we may want to push that mortgage contingency out just a little further. Um, so we were able to do that in the purchase and sales stage uh, by simply repeating what Joe said to the seller's attorney. Look, appraisals are, you know, coming in. They're, they're, it's a little delayed due to COVID. Uh, so realistically, let's shoot for, you know, this date for the contingency to expire. So again, it's so important to get the lender involved early uh, because if an offer is submitted with unrealistic dates, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, an accident waiting to happen. Uh, and then you have to scurry and try to justify changes. And then there's discontent on the part of the seller and they think you're playing games and that you submitted an offer just to get it accepted, but it was really unrealistic. So, you know, to really be on the up and up, it's important to get all of all of us, a broker, an attorney, and a lender, really in place, ideally, before the buyer makes an offer. Jim? Uh, yeah, so um, there was a quarter point uh, uh, increase on interest rates uh, across the board uh, a couple of weeks ago, I heard. Uh, Joe, uh, what was that about? 
Yeah, so actually it was a really unexpected thing that the Federal Home Finance Authority on refinances imposed a half a point on the points um, increase to all refinances across the board for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loans, which constitute the majority of, of loans. Totally unexpected. And some lenders imposed that um, immediately. Some um, actually did, did it in stages. Interestingly, last night, the, they rescinded that. And now they're going to impose it in a couple of months. Um, it was a really quick thing, but yeah, it took a lot of people by surprise. Um, and uh, fortunately they, they decided to you know hold off for a little bit. Yeah, after the election, let me guess. Right, exactly. Yeah. Some of the stuff is so completely transparent. Um, so is there a backlog and, and delays still, or is everything uh, sort of uh, moving along now? You mean with regards to the processing of mortgages? Yes, so there's there's definitely um, backlog is really on appraisers. Um, you know, imagine that rates all of a sudden dropped, like in end of February, beginning of March, and now just about eighty to ninety percent of people that have mortgages are eligible to refinance and drop their rate substantially. And so everyone's trying to get it done at the same time, and appraisers can't just you know replicate and increase the number of appraisers out there by tenfold, twentyfold. Um, so every appraiser is just so backlogged right now. And even mortgage underwriters, mortgage processing, people like me, um, you know, we're working so many hours and, and it's, it's definitely, there's a, there's a big backlog. And what, what we're doing and most lenders are actually increasing the, the rate lock period um, just so that we can, you know, try to get every, everything accomplished and before our rate expires. Fortunately on purchases, you know, we'll start pushing to get those done quickly. But as Nancy pointed out, you know, it's really important to, under promise and over deliver and try to give a realistic um, date that you can hit for mortgage contingency and a closing date instead of, you know, trying to over promise and under deliver and then you're making everybody upset. And that's what, what are the rates? I'm sorry. What are, what are the rates now? So like a 15 year fix is around 2.375. A 30 year fix is around 2.875. Um, those are conforming rates. Probably a 20-year fix is around 2.625, 2.75. Um, and then jumbo rates right around 3% for fixed. Um, I just locked somebody in on the seven-year arm at 2.625. So obviously, the, all these rates depend on someone's credit score, how much equity they have in the property, what type of property it is, if it's owner-occupied or investment. So all those things have, a, have an impact on the actual rate. I, th I think an arm right now, because our rates are so low, that you just could get croaked with that, right? Well, it depends. Like if you're doing a seven-year arm and you fully expect not to be living in the property for a long period of time, and if you can be at 2.625 instead of 3%, you know, it can still save you a lot of money. But um, personally, if, you know, if someone's pretty risk adverse, I would say do a 30-year fix because you can't really go wrong given how low rates are. Right, right. One thing I, I thought I'd mention in terms of um, the legal end of this is that, you know, buyers pay for the bank's attorney, uh, the lender's counsel. And there is a distinction between a buyer having his or her own attorney uh, prior to a bank attorney getting involved. And the reason is the bank attorney obviously represents the bank and the buyer's attorney represents the buyer. And while there is some overlap in the interests of buyer and lender, particularly as you know, as concerns the the title and having clean title to the real estate, 
Um, a buyer's attorney performs many additional functions way beyond what a lender's counsel would do. And that includes things like representing the buyer if there are inspection issues. Who's going to advocate for the buyer? It's going to be the buyer's attorney that's going to be dealing with the seller's attorney to come up with either a credit against the purchase price, a reduction, a list of repairs, um, such as, you know, in a recent case, a recent deal that I did, the seller had open permits that the buyer, buyer's attorney wanted to have closed. Um, so there's a whole bunch of things that uh, a buyer really needs to have their own counsel representing them on. Rather than the bank counsel. Rather than the bank counsel. Yeah. And uh, again, another reason why it's important to have the right team together. Um, the other thing that buyer's counsel will do is review the condominium documents in a way that's much more thorough in a, in a sense than what the lender's counsel will do. Um, if, if I had, and I've had buyers that say, well, you know, I have a, I have a dog that's 25 pounds or 30 pounds. And is that going to be a problem? Well, there might be a rule that restricts, you know, pets or I might, they might restrict to one dog and, or one cat. Uh, a bank's attorney is not going to be interested in that. It's not of their concern, but it is a, immense concern to a purchaser. Similarly, um, is this a smoking, if it's a condominium, is smoking allowed? Is it prohibited? Um, am I able to put a washer and dryer in my unit? Um, is there a right of first refusal that the condominium has? These are all things that a buyer's attorney early in the process would be looking at, as well as looking at the condominium financials. And um, I know I go I go way beyond what many people do in that regard. I'll ask for board minutes. I'll ask for profit and loss statements, balance sheets. I'll interview even the property manager. Um, and sometimes I end up knowing more than the listing agent about what, what the finances are and if there are special assessments. Um, so that's something that's, of, of course, of immense concern to a buyer. If there's a special assessment coming down the road and it's in the minutes, um, if you're not looking at the minutes or talking to the property manager, guess what? You may get hit with a big price tag shortly after you, you know, get title to the property and move in. A surprise bill will appear in the mail. Here's your assessment. So, um, again, these are, these are things that buyer's counsel can alert the uh, buyer to. And, and usually um, review of condominium documents and financials are contingencies. Uh, to the offer to purchase. Um, and they're there for a reason. Uh, the reasons I just, I just mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey. Hey, pay some bills. We, yeah. We have two uh, sponsors today. Um, oh, here we go for one. sponsor number one. I love oysters. For years, they were the only thing I ever ate. I just loved the way they made me feel. You know what I mean? But these days, I almost never eat oysters. I found something that makes me even happier. And that's the Savage Wiener. The Savage Wiener. Ultimate gourmet hot dog. Wow, those aren't you really good?
hands off my savage winter. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One more. One more. Broker Talk is sponsored today by Castles Unlimited, where you get the best real estate offers online. Go to castlesunlimited.com for all your real estate needs. Were any dogs hurt? Were any dogs harmed in any way doing that savage wiener? Oh, uh, many, many uh, dogs. Many dogs. Yikes. Anyway, <laughs> um, they are good hot dogs. I do know that. Um, back to this conversation that, we, that we're having about uh, joining together as teams of people. When uh, um, I always think of, and, and maybe I'm wrong, I always think of the real estate agent as the general contractor. We're talking to everybody. Lawyer does lawyer stuff, banker does bank stuff, but that's really not how it works best. How it works best is everybody is talking to each other back and forth, and there's open lines of communication through the whole process. Um, how do you feel about that, Joe? I completely agree with you. Um, what we try to keep everyone, everybody in the loop um, on the status of the loan, in fact, what we do is we send generally most of the parties um, just e email updates when there's certain milestones that are met. Like when a loan goes into process, then an email goes usually to the realtor and the attorney. Um, when a loan goes into underwriting um, and when a loan is approved and when it's clear to close, just so that, you know, those are just automated things, milestones that people get updates on. And then, you know, usually the the attorney and, and, and we, the lender, um, are communicating with when, especially as we're getting close to the mortgage contingency date, to make sure that we're on tr on track um, to do that, and and of course with the with the realtor as well. Um, you know, it's it's funny. Some realtors, you know, are very involved, and in some, you know, that that you know I've worked with for years are just like I know you're going to make it happen. So they kind of like are hands off and just know that things are going to are going to take place. So it's you know the, it's nice, and you you're flexible. You know we work with the different parties and depending on how they like to uh, how much involvement they like to have. Well, that's the whole part of 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 this show that there are a lot of ways to do business, and what we're trying to do is share with our audience, which is made up of both consumers and real estate agents, what best practices are. There's a million ways to do it wrong. There's probably a thousand ways to do it right. Pick one of the right ways to do it. Uh, I know Nancy is very, very uh, involved in every aspect of it with her clients, and that's helpful. They they benefit from that. Yes, and and you know also, I've done some deals with Joe, and one of the things that he offers that I find very useful in this kind of a uh, seller's market is he has the ability. I think Joe, and you can speak you know, more fully on this to underwrite a purchaser. So that really there's a, almost a commitment letter that's only predicated upon appraisal and no change in circumstances, no change in income or employment. So if a buyer, as many are, you know, get outbid repeatedly and think, okay, you know, everybody's waiving inspection and they're waiving, you know, mortgage contingency. And I can't, I just can't be a player. I, I need a mortgage, but I, I keep getting outbid and people are waiving this and that. You know, Joe can actually underwrite the buyer um, so that they effectively can be a cash buyer. Joe, can you speak more fully on that? Yes. Um, so you're most mostly right. Um, we, we actually have this. 
it's been put on pause um, just right now because of the volume of business that's coming in. Because as you can imagine, a lot of people would like to be uh, pre-underwritten and then those deals actually don't come together. So it's a big, um, it takes a lot of time for the underwriting team to do. So they put that, those on pause for the time being, but it's definitely going to come back. And it's definitely a helpful um, opportunity for buyers to have to be pre-underwritten so that they can compete with cash offers. You know, the, the tough thing that's out of our control when even when that happens is, will the property appraise? So that's usually where, you know, an attorney like you come in and say, you know, look, this is we're we're approved, but we might still have an appraisal contingency. Um, and, you know, being mindful of, you know, things that we don't have control over. And that's where, you know, it's critical to have a really good attorney on your side, you know, making sure that you're still covered. Right. That's a very good point. And, and again, that would have to be in the offer if you're waiving the the mortgage contingency, but you want an appraisal contingency, guess what? You can't add that later. <laughs> no seller is going to go for that. So in the and, on the appraisal part, I think the, the agent is going to be a, a, a great asset in there because we're out there pricing properties every day. Uh, we're there with the appraisers. So um, being on the ground and knowing prices in the neighborhood, um, and we know that, you know, with things going up and up and up in price, that appraisals are, are based on what was sold, not what is selling right now. And in an ascending market like this, you can be caught. So you need to work with people who have who have ridden this pony for a while. Um, Gary, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, one of the worst things is for a listing agent just to give an appraiser a lockbox. And just leave them to their own devices and hope that they come up with a value. I mean, that's not doing anyone any service. A really good listing agent is the one who's going to show up with comps and say, hey, here's how we price this. And, and also, you know, it kind of leads the appraiser to the right conclusion as opposed to being left to their own devices and, you know, things go terribly wrong. In particular, during a market like this, hey, by the way, you might not have seen, but I just talked to the neighbor next door who has their house on the property. They just went under agreement. Here's what that number is going to be, you know, and they can't include it, but it helps their thinking that, oh, yeah, I'm in a rise. They get it. They're in a rising market. Um, well, even even to that, Larry, you know, your your point is is great. I mean, a really good agent who knows that deal is going to close in four days might delay the appraisal for four days, and then the appraiser can use that comp. So it's really important to know the market that you're working in and be aware of those kind of things. Yeah. See, I, I watch a, a great show like a Million Dollar Listing LA, and, and I see these guys, you know, talk about 13 million, 24 million. Uh, no um, mortgages, very rarely. Yeah. yeah, right. But that it's so, it's just not the way life is. Um, no, it actually is. I can speak to it because I, I started in Palm Beach three and a half years there before I came uh, to Boston to sell. I never even knew of a mortgage contingency. That's, that's the first thing. Second thing is, uh, it, it wasn't until I had a couple of guys come down to buy a couple of houses one week with me in Wellington, which is like West Palm, a uh, little little west of the turnpike. Uh, I, I never heard of a of a, an inspection. Never, never, never had any mortgages, no inspections. So it, it all depends. I mean, in, in that price range, I mean, you know, I mean, even in Newton, Boston, when uh, when you're a listing agent, 
you know, you, you got offers coming in. Which offer are you going to go for? There's, there's three offers. I bet two of them are cash offers, right? I'm going to go with the one that's going to close, you know? Well, um, the cash offer is usually uh, pretty pretty solid. Yeah, yeah, unless it's, unless it's not. It, no it, contingencies with 5% to 10% down. That's, well, yeah, that's a that's a kind of a slam dunk. In, in but that. yeah, million dollar listing in Los Angeles. That's a great show. I I love how they walk outside. Okay, you and I are negotiating. I'm 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 the buyer, and I say, ah, my guy can't go for that. What do you think? Well, Come that's to- that's the stage part. I I, I love that too. Those, those that's say, okay. They, they walk outside and make a call. They're, they're, they're face-to-face at, at, a, at a conference table. Okay, so you're here to tell me that your client is interested? If, I can, say, home, if right? I can say something to that, too. So, you know, I think that if you have a really good, trusted mortgage originator who knows what they're doing, I mean, I have a lot of listing agents that have known me because I've been, you know, doing this in the Boston market for 28 years, and you say, like, if Joe's pre-approved them, it's like a cash offer. And then it's like, so if you have a, you know, a really good, thorough pre, uh, pre-approved, uh, pre-approval that's been vetted, and that one might be $20,000 more than a cash offer, you know, then you have to decide, well, which do you want to go for? More money with a really good pre-approval or the one that's cheaper but cash? Yeah, I agree with you, Joe. Um, and that's happening a lot. Um, if it's 20000 more and it's a really good, solid offer with a pre-approval from a, you know, you know, a, a, a lender that's been vetted, and, you know, remember, brokers can call up uh, the lender and see what the bona fides of the, of the buyer are. And if it's substantially more than a cash offer, why would, you know, why yeah. would you not? Why would you not take that offer? And not only can they, they should be calling the lender if you're, you know, the store. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, this is, this is a topic we could go on for for many hours on, on this. Working on a million dollar listing on, on, on its own. You could speak uh, at least another couple minutes about that. Do it next week. <laughs> next week, or, or maybe in the after show. Uh, yeah, because don't forget, Frederick is back in town. Uh, thank you, Nancy Blue Eyes, and thank you, Joseph Smith. It's been a pleasure to have you on our on Broker Talk this week. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having me. Thank you, everyone. I'm Jim Lowenstern. My co-host is Larry Lauper. Broker Talk is a weekly podcast hosted by real estate industry professionals and always dedicated to telling it like it is. We're teachers of the business and we're always teachers of the industry. Until next week.